0: All right, let's turn our attention now to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is a portion of it that you actually probably have heard before. I'm going to read it to you, and you're going to recognize the song. Let me start. In Ecclesiastes 3, I'll start in verse 1. Let me just read it, and we'll go back and talk about it. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There comes 14 couplets. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker From his toil. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made, somebody has a t shirt, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been and that which is to be already has been and God seeks what has been driven away. Let me pray and we'll start. Father, I pray that through seeing the futility of so many things, we might turn and see the beauty of who Jesus is. Help us as believers, to cherish it more. Help us to love grace more. Help us to grow in our knowledge of who You are, in our theological thirst, in our devotional direction. Help us, Lord, to walk in the ways You've laid before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. It's good for us to remember that everything is meaningless unless you have Jesus. It's good to lay that out, that everything is meaningless, and that's what Ecclesiastes is going to show us over and over again, that everything is meaningless unless you have Jesus. And the futility of life drives us. That's what I've written down for you. Drives us to the faithfulness of God. So, with these 15 verses, there are some things to remember. I'm going to go through them. Let's look at the first one. Number one. It's good To remember that there is a plan. Because sometimes it does not feel like it. You live long enough, you have enough things happen to you, it can feel like there's not a plan here. It's good for you as a believer in Jesus, as a believer in God's goodness and a sovereign God, it's good to remember that He has a plan. So if you here tonight, if you believe that God has a plan for your life. Raise your hand if you believe. God has a plan for life. Okay, so everybody here essentially believes that God has a plan. That means we believe, at least in some way, we believe in predestination. We believe that before it happened, there was a plan, and now we're living out what God has put there in front of us. A plan. Verse 1 lays down a principle that is illustrated. So you take verse 1 as the principle. We're going to read it. Verse 1 is sort of the... This is what I'll do Sunday as well. Uh, in Romans 7, when I get there, verse 1 will be a principle. Verses 2 and 3 is an illustration. Verse 4... I'm, I'm talking about Romans now. <laughs> verse 4 uh, will be some theological statement. That's what I'll do Sunday. That's kind of what you got here. Verse 1 is just sort of a principle. And that principle is that there is providential. You know the word Providence. There's providential oversight. The word providence that we as Christians use, We talk about God's providence, providence is what you see in the rearview mirror. Providence is what you see when you turn around and you say, okay, that was God working that out. Providence is not what you feel when you're in the middle of trouble. When you're in the middle of trouble, somebody feel panic. But it's when you can look back ten years before, you can look back, back at a situation and say, that's God's providence. I ran into Connie um, on the campus at Southwestern Seminary. I can look back and see that was God's providence in my life. We got married uh, very soon. I realized that uh, she knew this before and she told me before that um, she wouldn't be able to have children naturally. It was not a pleasant, good thing look back on it and can see now, from this perspective, providence. One of the good things that you can do is look back on the things of your life, the good and the bad, the painful, the frustrating, is to see it's God's providence. I mean, we believe that. Uh, There are a couple of passages that I'd like maybe just to give you, maybe even to to look up. Uh, One that you probably already know, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. Every high school student's life verse? Anybody know that verse? Can you say it? Okay, okay. so he, he's not talking to individuals, he's talking to his people. that's Israel he's talking about, so be careful how you apply it. But the, just, just the meaning of that verse is, it is God, and he's aware of his own plans. Those plans are good, even though they're really difficult and, and hard things to go through. Or or Ephesians, my, my favorite one I think is Ephesians two. You might want to turn there in the Bible. Christina, did I give these to you? No? I held these to myself, didn't I? All right, so if you have a Bible, you can flip there, a little Bible drill for you. Ephesians two. I can read it to you. Verse ten. You should know this verse. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, that we are His his workmanship. That word is, uh, the Greek word, poema, poem. We are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look how quick she is. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Acts, um, Acts chapter 2 is... Did I say Ephesians 2 is my favorite one? Yeah, so Acts 2 is, my, is 1B, right? It's, it's close to it. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it's when Peter is preaching. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Peter is preaching. Now listen to how the intricacies of this plan. This is what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay, so right there is Peter saying the crucifixion was God's plan all along. God's sovereign good plan is something good for us. We thank God for the crucifixion. It's good. So, finish out the verse though. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And yet, people were absolutely responsible. In fact, it's a terrible, he uses the word lawless. So, this terrible event, men in sin did this to Jesus. What they did was sin, and yet it is. In the hands of God, providentially looking back, this is this wonderful, glorious event for us. It's good, to, it's good to remember that there is a plan. If you are purchased by the blood of Jesus, if you are a son or a daughter of God, it's one of those comforting things. It's one of those confidence-building things. It's one of those when, when you're in the middle of the fog and you don't know why this is going on in your life and why you have to walk through such a difficulty. One of those steadying things is to remember that there is, in fact, a plan, and it is a good one. We well, had not gotten to Romans chapter 8 yet. I'm in 7. It'll take us a few weeks to get to Get through 7, we'll get to 8. I'll probably quit preaching in Romans around the end of November. Take December for Christmas. Jump back in um, Romans chapter 9. It's going to be very difficult. You ever read Romans chapter 9? Don't, don't read it till I go there. I hate for you to even know what's coming. Uh, Romans chapter 8 has a, a lot of talk uh, about God's good plan. But Romans chapter 8, verse 28, is the second most popular verse for... Anybody know that verse? Know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purposes. There it is right there. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. It doesn't say that all things are good. So a good thing when you read that verse is to ask the question, do you love God? Do you genuinely love God? And most of you here would say, yes, I'm not perfect, not claiming to be perfect, but I do in my heart. I mean, I really do love God. Okay, if that's the case, if that's the case, it's good to be reminded that these are working. That there is a plan. And God is going to walk you through that. It's going somewhere. It's a destination that we're headed to. It's good to remember there's a plan. All right, let me give you a second thing that goes along with remembering this. Uh, the second thing there on your handout is this good-to-remember that God is in control. It sounds pretty elementary, but let's go back to Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 2, I'm sorry, in chapter 3, starts with verse 2 and goes through to verse 8. When I read that, everybody recognized the poem? Y'all remember the song? Some of you are old enough to remember it. Yeah, 1965, anybody know the band? Birds. Birds. Is that back when there used to be a lot of, lot of partying going on, Mr. Phil? Yeah. The birds, uh, the birds sang that song. It was a one-hit wonder. Uh, you can go and listen to it. And do you know that, that their song, uh, the birds, that the song they sang only added six more words to the Bible text? It's almost a completely... I mean, it's better than what Shane and Shane would do. It's a, I mean, it's completely the Bible. And you go and listen to it, and it's a tune that sort of just carries you along. It has a real kind of an upbeat, uplifting. And the truth of the matter is, it's not designed to do that. That that is there to remember that you're not in control. God is. In fact, the very way that it's structured, you go through and um, you'll see that there are 14 pair of opposites. That, you know, 14 is one of those numbers that is... uh, um, divided by seven, seven is the number, I don't want to get too far down the road, of completeness. So you have this from top to bottom. Com- there's this idea of a complete picture of reality, that life is impermanent, that we are mortal. The, the word marism, merism, M-E-R-I-S-M, merism. A merism is two opposite poles and everything fits in between them. Like each one of these, for instance, we'll just look at the first couple. A time to be born, and a time to die. So that merism is, from the beginning of life, to the end of life. And the idea is, you take those two bookends, and what the preacher's saying is, that everything in between. I mean, we, we... We use this kind of talk. Uh, You say you love somebody from head to toe. You're talking about your children. Head to toe. I mean, that's the kind of language that you find in each one of these and every one you read. So the first one is about life. The second one includes that, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. Then we get into emotions in verse 4. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Uh, There's a time to mourn. A time to dance, remember, anybody here remember the movie Footloose? Right, so this is, remember that movie and the, the mean preacher wouldn't let everybody dance in the town and, and the kid uh, showed him up and said, well here, it says it here in the Bible, there's a time to dance. Are y'all impressed with my cultural references tonight? <laughs> I feel like I'm really pulling out some things tonight. Of course that movie's what, 35 years old? <laughs> y'all are like, what, I don't know that movie. So you get the idea, right? It's the whole... What the, what the author is saying is, it's the whole range of human activity. And the idea from verse 2 to verse 8, these 14 couplets, written in perfection, from top to bottom, a time to be born, a time to die, and the idea is that over all of life, God is in complete control. In fact, if you take those 14, each one cancels one another out. For instance, a time to be born, a time to die. So you add those two together, and it's a big zero. And you go through, in each one, zero, zero, zero. Adds up to zero. The idea is that all of life adds up to zero. It's not very inspiring, is it? And really, that's sort of the point. That even when it feels like all of life adds up to zero. It's good to remember that God is in control. One of the most beautiful things you can remember in the middle of a terrible, terrible time is that, that there's ground that you stand on. That gives you, honestly, gives you humility. That gives you great confidence. There's good, there's good comfort in that. You know, we... We celebrate a beautiful baby, John and Whitney's new son. There are lots of people that either can't have children or, 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 or miscarry. So in the midst we're talking about this, something, something beautiful, something terrible. And one of the things that's good to remember is that, that in, in, in all of that, when things feel like they cancel one another out, we have the ground to stand on. The God's in control. You take those two opposites, the two, the merisms, everything fits in from the time that we're born to the time we die. And the idea is everything fits in there. And in all of that, the Lord is carrying us somewhere. It's the whole range of human activity, and God is God over all of it. It's good to remember the impermanence the impermanence of life. Tomorrow uh, is Connie and I, is our 27th 27 our 27th wedding anniversary. Yeah, Phil's 22 years ahead of me. Yours is the 49th tomorrow. 49, you got a big 50 coming up. Yeah, we need to have a celebration or something. All right. A year from this Wednesday we'll celebrate it. Okay. Yeah. So, Connie and I are going to go to the mountains uh, for a day, and, um, you know, maybe we'll find a good cemetery there, (laughs) and walk through, I'll I'll put some pictures up, uh, if you like. You know, it's good to, she's not quite as convinced as I am, but it's good to just to remember, it goes quickly, and even when it feels like it's going quickly, it's good to remember God is in control. All right, let me give you a third word, Number three. <clears throat> with that in mind, with the life going like it, like it does, let's drop down. We get by the poem now and go down beyond the poem to verse nine. And there it's good to remember what it is that really matters. Listen to the frustration in verse nine. Do you hear it? What gain? Remember that phrase? What gain has the worker? From all his toil. That word gain, what profit, yours might say? The idea is I've worked and worked and worked, and I've earned a certain wage, and it feels like it just goes out the window. It's the same question that's asked back in uh, chapter 1, verse 3 what profit is there? And the idea is that there is a sense of frustration. When you read this book, when you read it, um, and you read it all the way through, if you were to sit down and just read it through, what you walk away with is a real sense of, 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 of things not working out. I and mean, that's what the whole thing is about. It's a real sense of frustration that the, the dreams that you had don't play out like you thought they would. People end up letting you down. You're not as far along as you, as you, as you thought you might be. Or you get to a certain age, you look back and you can't do the things that you used to could do. And there's just frustration. That frustration has a purpose. Frustration has a purpose. It's not just a superfluous emotion. It's not just a circumstance that has you there. The, the tears that you shed are there for a reason. The, the word despair. Despair is a handmaiden. Despair is the handmaiden of grace. If you're not a Christian, despair is the handmaiden of conversion. God uses that. God uses that in, in our lives to, hum. If, you're, if you are a believer, it is a means of discipline and sanctification. It is a means of, of humility. It's a means of, of, of re- reminding you that there's something beyond you. A great place to go when you're reading um, about conversion in the New Testament is to go and read the story of of Paul, Right, the road to Damascus. A lot of people say, on the road to Damascus was when Saul became Paul. Well, he didn't become Paul on the road to Damascus. Later, they just started calling that because it was an easier thing to do. Um, On the road to Damascus, he became a believer. It was a terrible experience for him physically. Emotionally, he was struck blind, he was humiliated, he was led into a person's house that he'd never met. All of that to bring about conversion. So when you read verses 9 and verse 10, uh, and when you think about your own life, it's good sometimes to, in the middle of the frustration, remember, this is here to drive me to Christ. And those things will then start boiling down what is it that actually genuinely matters. So in your life, what is it that matters? And what are you spending your time doing, pursuing? And does that actually, in light of eternity, really matter? I think that's what Ecclesiastes is really good for, is boiling down things. Because there's so much that we pursue that actually doesn't matter. There are things that we get bothered and I'm being inclusive. I do this thing i bothered by. It don't matter. Okay, you get the point. Uh, let me give you a fourth one. Number three. Let's go to number four. Um, I don't know how else to say this. Here's a fourth thing that's good to remember. It's good to remember that God is God and you are not. Even though you sometimes want to be. Or, even though you think it should go a certain way. So often people want to construct what God should, should do. What is fair and what is not fair. And when we start becoming the arbiter of what is fair and not fair, what is good and not good, uh, then, then God is no longer God, then we've become that. So instead, it's good to remember God is God, we are not, and, and we know Him by how He's revealed Himself in His Word. Now, you look at verse 11. Uh, verse 11 can be difficult to understand, and it's, bro- it's good for us to, to let's take verse 11 uh, and break it into three phrases. So let's go through them, go through them slowly. let start the th- first phrase. He has made everything... Beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. That word beautiful, it can be used oftentimes in the Old Testament for beautiful. It also can be used for uh, appropriate. That is to say, fitting together. So, so now bring that back to the phrase. God has made everything Beautiful. Everything good and right. He has made it so that all of the events of life actually will eventually fit together. I'm going to press on that even further. God has ordained all of these things as a bigger part of His plan for the universe. And there are no missing Pieces of the puzzle that have fallen on the ground and you can't find them. You ever worked a jigsaw puzzle? I have no interest in a jigsaw puzzle, by the way. I think it's right to work it, put some glue on it, put it in a frame. Look at it. I don't want to have to work it. Kind of came on. Somebody beating on the... Somebody on an outer end. Is it just children doing that? Oh, Okay. I don't know if we had some sort of emergency out there. You never know, yeah. Where was I? Oh, Connie had come home with, um, with a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. And it's like trees and flowers and stuff. How can you even put that together? And then you lose a couple of pieces. That, that, is, not this, that is not the way God operates. All of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle will go together, even though it doesn't seem like. That's what Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is. It's not that God is making all things good in your life. He is working all things good and bad toward good. So you take all of the things as an aggregate. Every one of them. Every single event. every single Everything that has happened by way of sin, that's been sinned against you, God is using that. There's, there's no event left out of this plan. He's he's ordained the word beautiful. He's made all things beautiful uh, in, in their time. It's not that he's going to take everything and make it look pretty. But that text means he's taking all of the things that have happened, every one of them, every broken heart, every time that you've been frustrated. He's using that. If you're a believer, he's using that for good. All right, now drop down to the second phrase. Second phrase. First phrase, he's made everything beautiful in his time. Second phrase, also, also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Eternity in our hearts. What do you think that means? Anybody want to take a start at Step it. What? You you can't not know that there's more. You can't not. We are eternal beings. So, So there are those that can claim to be atheists, even believe that they are atheists, but you can't not know that there's more. Why? Because that is the way God has constructed us, and He's put that in our hearts, and all people will live forever. Which is a startling reality because so many people will live in hell. God has put that in our hearts as a reminder. You can't not know that there is a God. You can't not know that, there, that, there, um, that this is not all there is. I mean, even like J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, C.S. Lewis, um, I would recommend, um, I hadn't read much Tolkien. Um, because it's sort of bizarre to me. But C.S. Lewis I read a lot of that. I'll recommend that to you. He's probably right on the edge of being orthodox, but his thought was that behind the, the way he became a Christian is because Tolkien had, had convinced him that all of the stories throughout all of history that have these tragedies and people looking for more, e- every one of them are pointing to the greater story, which is Christ. So, so the idea is that there's more, there's just more. God has put that in us so that we, we seek that. The problem we run into is that as sinful people, oftentimes we seek to fulfill that in sinful ways. We never, never get there until we see the gospel. Okay, so that's the second phrase. I think I read the third phrase in there uh, accidentally. Let's go back to it. He has made everything beautiful in his time. We talked about that. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. That's the second phrase. Here's the third phrase Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So, we know there is a God, but that third phrase tells us we have limited knowledge of how he works. And this is what's so frustrating for us. This is where we get into the arguments of God's complete sovereignty and man's free will and how do they work. By the way, I would write down the word compatibilism. Compatibilism. God's sovereignty, man's ability to make real choices. They are not in opposition to one another. They are working. That's how God works. One doesn't negate the other. And this text is is telling us that you're just not going to find it. Now we have... We have limited knowledge. And God's sovereignty, according to this passage, God's sovereignty is not passive. It's not that God has created and stepped back and let it unwind. We believe that God is actually genuinely moving in the affairs of men and women, that He works. That's why we pray like we do. That's why we ask God to intervene. That's why we lift people up. That's why we, we pray these direct, prayers because we're asking God to do something. We believe that He is able to do it. He is sovereign over it. We're asking Him to move. But the truth is, we've, we've just got limited knowledge. I mean, that's what this text is saying, verse 11, that, that God has put eternity in our hearts, so we know there's more. We know there's more. We know it, but we can't find it out. We don't know from the beginning to the end. We don't know how he works. We don't know exactly how he moves. We don't know how he's going to work the situation out. We don't know why this happened to us. We don't know why this happens to our friend that we love so. Why? Why is this happened? So we know that God is working. We just don't know how. Uh, I would put in your pocket, put in your pocket somewhere, the verse uh, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Anybody can say that verse. You know, Sam? Do you know it off the top of your head? The secret things, right? The things revealed belong to us, so He's given us some things. We can know some things. We can know how to be saved. We can know who Jesus is. We can know that God has a plan. But there are some secret things. We just don't, we just don't have it. We just don't know it. So it's good to remember one of the most comforting things, God is God and we are not. Let me give you a fifth thing. Let's come up out of this a little bit. It's good to remember the small kindnesses of the Lord. Let me show you where I get that. There are small kindnesses that we forget to recognize. And just as a human being in 2019 in Charlotte, North Carolina, at Hickory Grove Baptist Church, it's good for you to remember there are some small kindnesses. I've been standing here... Um, speaking for about 35 minutes, my blood pressure's pro- probably up. My pulse rate's probably at 120. I'm breaking a sweat. A small kindness is the air conditioning in here. Amen. It's nice. It's a small, wonderful. There's. I mean, look at verses 12 and 13. Let me show it to you. Where I get? I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. You read verse 12 and 13. What is God's gift to man? I mean, you, you can read the whole Bible and you see there are these wonderful sort of big rock gifts that God has given us by His grace, salvation, certainly all of those things. But there are some things we just take your work, house you live in. If you have a car and you're able to afford a nice car, it, I mean, you can, I'm, I'm glad to have that car. People that you're close to that actually you enjoy being around, have a conversation with. If, you, if you're in love, Last Wednesday, uh, for no good reason, Connie came up here on a Wednesday morning with a full dozen of duck donuts. Do you know what those are? I never have been to what's known as the duck donut, but they got special donuts in there. Where they, they put some uh, take the donut and put some maple covering and then put bacon, broke up bacon, on the donut. Whoever even, she brought me 12 of those. That was a... Small kindness of the Lord. I was thankful. (laughs) I like the original Gatorade, the green-yellow kind. I don't like all the uh, designer Gatorades. I want to drink the regular Gatorade that they made back in 1975 or so. I like that color. I wish it was in a glass jar still. It's a small kind. I like the sound of a good Ford V8. That has the right cam in it and the right, it's carbureted rightly and it has headers and glass pack. I like the way it's, it's distinct. It's a, when I hear it, I think, Praise the Lord. <laughs> All these little small things. So, verse 12 and verse 13, you start seeing things that you learn to actually see some good in life to see, and the things that you might pass by, to see that there are actually some good things here. What this is is telling us to actively, because you have to do it actively, to actively practice a happy life. Because that's what God has given us. I mean, it's right there in verse 13. It's what God has given us. These, These places and people and events and things are here to say, here's a kindness from the Lord. It's good to remember the small kindnesses of the Lord. I'll give you a sixth sixth one. I, and this is the one we we'll go home on. It's good to remember that we can trust God. It's, it's good to remember that. Let me, let me take you to verse 14 and 15. And maybe this is why the Lord has, has had you here this evening, just to hear it. Just to, just to have the truth minister and to wash over your soul to be reminded you can. You, this is the God you believe in. This is the God that has saved you. This is the God you're walking with. This is what you've learned. If you've come up in church, you went to vacation Bible school, this is the God. You, you can trust this God. Verse, verse 14 and 15. I perceive that whatever God does, whatever God does, endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. Verse 15 is a, is a little confusing. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what is to be driven away. You might have a little number there uh, down the margin, have another explanation. That's, a, that's sort of a hard verse to to translate, but let's deal with verse 14. The thought here in verse 14 and 15 is the the security of the believer's life. That we are, as believers in God, not to panic at, at at the things that go on in our life. We are to find great security in God's grace and His sovereignty over us. We find great security in that that God, verse 14, tells us that God is permanent. You see that in verse 14? I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken away. It's God that makes it, what He does is permanent. What He does, in verse 14, is effective and complete, including including salvation. What He does, causing us to fear, see the end of verse 14? That's there to, to make us want to worship. We do that privately. But but more importantly, we come together corporately. That that fear is there for us to see that He is God and worthy of us worshiping Him. And I think verse 15, the best way to understand verse 15 is that God watches over all of it. Over you, over your children, over the things that you've done that you wish you hadn't. God providentially, He's going to take that. It's not wasted. It was bad. may have even been sinful. It's not wasted. God takes it and providentially will weave it into His will for our sanctification. Now, that's the kind of God that I can worship and celebrate, love and trust. I hope that you will remember you can trust God. Let me close with a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you that we can trust you, and we do. We have faith, Lord. We ask that you would increase our faith. We sometimes feel like we're on shaky ground. Would you just remind us through a good word, through your word, through worship, through a song, through a friend, that we are on solid ground. We want to honor you. God, remind me to be thankful for the small kindnesses. Lord, I pray the same for brothers and sisters in Christ. Wake us up tomorrow, Lord, ready to spend some time with you and then bring us back to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You're dismissed.